Joined by filmmaker Ted Yakuchi. Hello, Ted. Hi, Len. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm. It's uh, early here in Vancouver, but I'm just so looking forward to talking to you about your JFK research. I'm always so happy to promote people doing something positive instead of, uh, you know, in forums that people are nitpicking back and forth and saying, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, You know, people who have come forward to write a book, make a documentary, do some TV work. And, of course, I met you years ago when you were working on something in L.A. And now it seems that you have time. Uh, You've just you've got a channel. I'm going to make a link to your YouTube channel where these. Videos uh, on the JFK assassination and U.S. history are popping up, and I'm just loving it. Thanks so much, Len. I've, um, I'm kind of getting closer to retirement, and uh, I was so busy with uh, um, my, my teaching work that I, I hadn't, uh, I, for a couple of years, I had to kind of step away from the JFK um, research that I was doing, uh, but now I'm so excited to get back into it, um, and, um, and I just, you know, I've just been such a fan of Black Op Radio for so many years that it's just such a pleasure and an honor to, to be invited to be on with you, so thanks a lot for that. Well, uh, thank you. So uh, I guess we just share our enthusiasm for uh, <laughs> looking into this case and... You know, a friend of mine once said to me, he says, Len, you're going to be surprised on how much is available. Like, you think you're going to look into this case and maybe discover something, and it's just like you walked into the hall of a library. You know, look at all this. If you start looking for research and facts on the case, it's almost overwhelming how much has already been done. You know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, right, with uh, Mark Lanes and Jim Garrison and things like that, but um, is an awful lot, and... You uh, interviewed Jim DiEugenio and Lisa Pease, and then, and then um, yeah, I was there, and you've really got into it. And now, with the release of on your YouTube channel of, well, let's see, this week, it's Dr. Mary Sherman. We can talk about mm-hmm. that. Top, you got a picture of Jack Ruby there, the top four reasons for conspiracy, the CIA creation, and the plot to kill JFK, how they planned it, and that's... Yeah, a few weeks ago even, and when I had you on to talk about this, I thought you were just getting going on the one. I guess maybe after 10 years, I hadn't seen too much, so you put out one, I went, great, and that was about the CIA and Mrs. Payne, right? 
And then, That's right. Uh, the Chicago plot, which I first uh, was sharing, you know, an interest in your research about that, right? Um, so mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of videos, people, there. I, I suggest everyone go there. Uh, and we'll make a link to it, right? You know, so uh, you have your own channel. So these, uh, you know, one thing that's of interest, it's, you're not talking about the bullet and the, and, and the gun and right there in Dealey Plaza. You're talking about the whole background. And in, yeah. in many items, you've gone into great depth to give a good primer, as, like as if you were teaching a course in it. Look at this is what was going on then. Here are the players. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you saying that. That's, well, that's, that's what really I pick up from it. And so mm-hmm. tell me what inspired you to do that. I mean, I know earlier, a, a month ago we, we spoke, but I mean, just like when you're talking about Mary Sherman and then uh, the Bay of Pigs and that, is there something that, that really caught your eye that said, I'm going to make films about these? I'm going to you know, make a good documentary? Well, the case always fascinated me, as it, as it has for so many folks. And it doesn't take a long time, as you just mentioned, when you start doing some some study, that there were so many pliers and that was there were so many things going on. And um, as someone who enjoys producing documentaries, it's really a lot of times uh, the lead up, um, what caused the events to happen, uh, and just kind of a... Um, kind of an analysis of it's almost like watching a csi program where you start with the start with the um crime and then work backwards and that's i think you know of course what needs to be done in this case and that can starts really years before um with what was going on in the cia but then in in uh closer to the actual assassination um we've talked about chicago a lot and that was one thing that always fascinated me that there could be an attempt on kennedy's life that was so well documented just three weeks before dallas and it was totally covered up uh and nobody seems to talk about that it's not even included in the warren commission report and um, I think when you look at that and you realized how much cover-up there was, um, then right away um, you realize that some uh, agency very high had to be involved. And I think, well, at least in my opinion, it was the CIA for the most part uh, under Alan Dulles. And then you, there's, there, you just kind of start. Um, you just start your research and, and, you know, you try to find out who's still alive. Um, it was a good 10 years ago that, uh, I talked to Ruth Payne, um, and, uh, um, was able to, to interview her. Um, and you know, uh, it, it's really important, um, that we get some of this stuff done as quickly as possible because there are so few players that are actually still alive and uh, the fact that I don't know that we're ever going to get uh, the documents released that a lot of us would like to see, things like tax returns uh, for Oswald and um, some of the other players. Um, so, you know, we do what we can, and we, um, we try to shake the bushes and see what falls out. Right, and I, and I think myself, when I think about Alan Dulles being fired, fired from his position, and then, you know, Lyndon Johnson just says, oh, you know, don't worry here. I'm going to put you on the Warren Commission. So you're back in business, you know. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I was shocked um, 
it doesn't take a whole lot of of research um, from the people that have really done the extensive looking into Alan Dulles and really have documented um, his career. Um, and I, it, it's it just is amazing how unchecked he was. Um, and it wasn't just that he was looking out for his country; he was looking out for for all of his wealthy friends and clients um, and, uh, uh, you know, with such a stake in United Fruit Company, um, you look at what happened in Guatemala, um, there was a lot of, um, at least in my opinion, there was an awful lot of of unnecessary deaths and heartache that um, his leadership of the CIA caused and, um, um you know, I think at some point, you know, the country really needs to come to grips with what happened there um, in the in the 1950s, especially uh, up through mid 65, uh, because there was, um, you know, we're talking about overthrows in in South Vietnam, in Congo, in Iran, in Guatemala, and oh, just so many things, and it was it was just because they were totally unchecked. So the fact that the fact that John Kennedy was, you know, not on board with them and was threatening some of their profits, the groups that ran things, they can couch things however they want in patriotism or you know um, worried about communism. I, I think most of that is just blowing smoke. I think, you know, I think eighty percent of what they all did was just to protect their own um, kingdom, their own them of, of profits uh, because they basically controlled all the, the corporations that were that were taking advantage of uh, a lot of countries where um, that were really looking to distribute wealth um, and um, you know and were really getting into t- democracy and nobody could have done oh, more to to stifle democracy than Alan Dulles and the group that that he was leading. Um, they, if you look at what the world would have been uh, if a lot of those countries would have been allowed to to go ahead and uh, establish their their democratic um, philosophies and move forward and do a little bit of distribution of wealth um, rather than have uh, you know everything uh, all the wealth centered in the top two or three percent, which is pretty much the way it, the way it stayed for a good thirty years after uh, Dulles came on board. Uh, I think the world would have been a better place. Well, Alan Dulles uh, working with Sullivan Cromwell, the big law firm for the big yeah. business. Uh, not only was he you know in charge of CIA, but but you can't understate that 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 was the big the muscle of the big business of America when they, they said, Alan, do something. Yeah, and, and you know, with his brother, John Foster, as Secretary of State and President Eisenhower, um, just trusting this to so much, and really, in my opinion, Eisenhower abdicated his, his role as president and really just delegate, delegated a lot of the um, foreign policy to the Dulles brothers. And I think that's what happened. You know, they, they just, like you said, um, um, they were just so entwined with that whole Northeastern establishment group that, that basically controlled every large corporation. And, you know, their worldwide um, 
reach was incredible at that time. And, you know, they did everything they could, legal and not legal, to uh, maintain it. And um, it's, it's sad. It's sad that greed really caused as much um, heartache to so many people um, through those two. At least that's my opinion. Right. Well, uh, some of the latest videos that you've done, you have featured um, in the, in the, you know, 26 minutes, 27 minutes, you know, 18 minutes. It looks like you've got a lot of, of stuff up there. Let's talk about uh, quickly this, this, the la- la- last three. So, mm-hmm. and I don't mean quickly because I have all the time here to, to you know, the one was Jim DiEugenio and, and Cuba and... Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to just give an uh, an overview of that, and then we'll get into uh, the Mary Sherman sure. one as well? Yeah. Now, that actually, a lot of that really began, originated with you and Lisa and uh, Jim um, back in the days uh, a while ago where we uh, met in, in Los Angeles uh, and did the interviews. Um, I was able to actually pull some of the information and, and some of the stuff that Jim and Lisa and yourself were, were kind enough to do um, and then just kind of extrapolate it out with uh, the new stuff. What I was really interested in doing was basically um, kind of what we were just talking about, really giving people a sense of what the de- the um, the uh, development of the CIA was from their inception in 1947 on, um, and how uh, the decisions that they made um, uh, uh, kind of um, reflected in uh, what was happening in the world at the time, and again leading to. Um, kind of the unchecked power, um, especially when it came to overthrowing governments, um, that really was turned on John Kennedy um, when they got so frustrated with what he was doing and the decisions he was made. So that video kind of hopefully gives a little bit of background um, and uh, um, delves into the actual mindset, I think, of what was going on with the people that were involved in setting up the assassination. And I think that's important because it's so easy for um, for people that haven't done research um, and haven't really looked into it themselves, it's so easy to say, well, you could never cover up. You could never cover up, uh, you know, assassination. Well, heck, they were covering up assassinations. They were, they were used to it um, through Project Mockingbird, which the CIA set up. Um, they had basically infiltrated American media to the point where they actually, at the, at the, the, the largest part, they had 3,000 um, 3, journalists and, and other people that were uh, included in Project Mockingbird, which was established uh, in order to make sure that basically nothing was printed that wasn't acceptable to the CIA. Um, and they, along with printing the stuff that was acceptable to them, even more important, was not printing the stuff that they didn't want to see. That's why when things were going on with um, with Guatemala um, and President Arbenz Guzman was, um, was being deposed, um, the American people weren't seeing what was really happening then because the CIA was controlling the media, the message. Uh, so it's necessary... For people to realize that uh, 
because that gives you a background, a bit of a background on how the uh, Alan Dulles was able to control you know, well, it was, it was a hand-picked Warren Commission, but it was how they were able to, to you know, you look at the Warren Commission and people say, oh, it's, you know, eight volumes or however many it was and so many pages. Well, it's all fluff, you know. And then we look at the stuff that was created in there, like the, one of the big ones is the the fake report about the magic bullet that was that was um, supposedly written by Secret Service agent Bardwell Odom. He never wrote it. And through researchers Gary Aguilar and Hosea Thompson, we know that. So, you know, you look at other things, and, and there's other people. Um, Seth Cantor, who met Jack Ruby at Parkland Hospital, you know. Uh, well, the Warren, <laughs> the, the, that didn't fit the Warren Commission's timeline, so they said, well, he must have been mistaken. Well, he wasn't mistaken. He was a Scripps Howard National reporter, and he, did, he, that, he had a whole conversation with, with Jack Ruby there. You look at Julianne Mercer, who, who saw Ruby in a truck and some people getting out of the truck with what she thought was a rifle about a half hour before the assassination in Dealey Plaza. Well, they manipulated her testimony in the Warren Commission. They signed it when she didn't sign it. And then she, she basically was married to a Republican congressman, if I remember at the time. You know, she was so worried that, you know, she basically had to disappear because she was afraid of what happened to her. You know, then you look at things like, and I'm, I know I'm going off here, but it's, but it's important that people know. You know, you look at the Tippett killing, and you look at the Benavides. You know, you look at some of the people that weren't going along right away with the story. Look what happened. You know, um, he was shot two days later. You know, then he changed his story. You know, you look at Mrs. Aquila Clemens, who actually saw the, she saw two people, involved with the uh, Tippett killing, and Mark Lane did such a great interview with her, and then the Warren Commission says that, oh, I forget what the excuse was, she was either 2L or, or something, you know, well, she did the interview with, with Mark Lane, and, you know, she, it was a, she, she was, she was as, as, at least as, as you know, uh, uh, intelligent as I am, and you know, she made the um, she saw what happened, you know, and she and there's so many, there's so many witnesses. Look at all the the witnesses that were uh, across the street, the the railroad guys that were across the street and saw a puff of smoke and in Dealey Plaza at the time of the assassination. They weren't even called by the Warren Commission. I mean, Sam Holland and that group, how can you not call everybody that was present there, especially when they had already given their statements to Dallas police uh, within a half hour uh, of the shooting? So it wasn't like the Warren Commission didn't have those reports. It was that they knew what they were going to say. You know, then you look at, like we talked about, I think either, I think we, we might have mentioned it the last phone call, but one of the biggest things is you look at the Warren Commission calling Daryl Tomlinson, who was the gentleman that found the bullet 
in Parkland Hospital, that supposedly CE399, now the magic bullet. Well, you look at that, and when he was called by the, uh, the, uh, the Warren Commission, they never asked him, our inspector who, who was doing the, uh, the interview with him, taking his testimony, he never asked him, well, is this the bullet that you found that day? And none of the people that handled it, Daryl Tomlinson, O.P. Wright, and then the, uh, the two FBI agents, I'm sorry, the two Secret Service agents who handled it, all four of them refused to identify CE-399 as the bullet that they handled that day, that they found that day. Well, that, that's, that's all information that the Warren Commission just basically abdicates any kind of explanation for. And you can't do that. So if, if it had ever, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not the first person to say this, but if Lee Oswald had ever gone to trial, it's just, uh, there is no way, I don't, <laughs> in my opinion, that they could, it would have had to have been thrown out because any kind of a halfway decent lawyer, um, you know, would have been able to, to look and see a lot of these things right away. So I wanted to do, you know, those kind of, those kind of videos just to get people um, realizing that there's so much hard evidence. It's not just, you know, oh, someone must have done it. You know, a lot of people had a lot to gain. Yeah, that's all true. But it's a lot of hard evidence. And that's what you've done, you know, over the last 20 years. You know, you've concentrated, Len, on all of the hard evidence. Um, and you've had so many researchers on that have just you know, really dedicated their lives into making sure that um, people understand that this isn't the country that, you know, uh, that we're led to believe. And it hasn't been really for quite some time. And, there, you know, until people, this again, this is, of course, just my opinion, but, but until people face up with that and people start taking responsibility for democracy, you know, on an individual basis, you know, nothing's going to change, you know. So, um, you know, and that's, that's the reason I, I went off on a tangent there, but that's the reason I wanted to do a lot of these, uh, these videos. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. Uh, I did the 50 reasons for 50 years, yeah. which was a uh, short attention span, though, just quick brief. You know, here's the bullet, here's the gun, here's the route, here's this, you know. So look into it further. And then people would go to some of the stuff like that you're doing right now. But, you know, this is further in depth, right? And Randy Benson uh, did make a, uh, a documentary called The Searchers, which, you know, he hung out with uh, the, the various people that you mentioned, like a John Judge or, you know, people who dedicated so much time mm -hmm. and effort to revealing and trying mm -hmm. to publicize that. And, you know, thanks to the Internet now, people, we can network and say, did you know this? Did you know this? Here we go. Right. You know? Right. You know, I, I had uh, I had the pleasure of talking to Mark Lane uh, shortly before he died. Just just I had never met uh, uh, him in person. Uh, it was just a telephone call. But I I still think some of the best evidence and some of the best um, work ever done is the stuff that he did. Those very first film interviews that he did with all of the witnesses. I forget what year. What was it? Was it sixty? 65 I can't remember when when what year it was just shortly after the assassination but every time I I can't tell you how many times I've gone back and looked at those um and just said you know 
<laughs> Sometimes it's the basics that, that you know, we, we um, don't spend enough time on. You look at those interviews and you, and you say to yourself, my goodness, these people, how could they not have been called by the Warren Commission? How can their testimony not have been taken? Um, what's going on here, you know? And again, it just comes down to they knew what those those people were going to say. It didn't fit the it didn't fit the, the story that they were going to put out. The and, narrative, um, yeah, the narrative exactly. And uh, you know, and you know, and, and consequently, it's easy to start mixing things up because there are so many players. And uh, you know, you need to you need to just kind of concentrate on facts and. Um, you know, that's hopefully that's what people like you and I and a lot of other folks, are, you know, try to do. It's also the um, the footprints or fingerprints of the CIA and the government covering up the facts that you when you see these interviews that you realize are important. They weren't called. They weren't called. They they, they say that people were mistaken. Um, it just says, no, that, that, you know, not only is it not Lee Oswald. You guys are behind what's what's the problem. Right, right. And it's funny because every time I see one of those, they never, and they, they always do the fluff stuff, you know. It's always, oh, how could a cover-up ever have been you know, been perpetrated for this long and things like that. And, well, it's because, you know, nobody's ever actually looked at it because we can't look at it because you hit away all the evidence and because you were involved, just like you said. So um, it gets frustrating, you know. It really gets frustrating sometimes when you're, when you, well, um, I, I have a difficult time watching um, interviews um, where people are taking that, you know, Warren Commission um, straight bent of, uh, of accuracy because uh, it's just so foolish that, um, you know, I worry about people hearing that stuff and, uh, and just being, um, you know, just, just not thinking for themselves, I guess. Yeah. Or you mean listening to a Posner or uh, a John McAdams right. type where they, uh, I think the worst was uh, Gary Mack, right? Where yeah, just I, put enough money in his pocket and he'll say whatever you want. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and regardless, if it wasn't such an important thing, you know, when we look back at history, we think what might have been, as you mentioned, and the, the thing was with John Kennedy, I think for America and for the world, people thought he's he's doing the right thing, and he's we're all going to rise together. Yeah, you know? that was the key, and and. You know, and and I think that would have happened. You know, nobody's a perfect person, certainly, and and I'm sure John Kennedy had as many foibles or more than than other people. You know, we, you know, we hear you, you always hear about the other side of oh, he was a womanizer or this or that, or and he may have been. I I don't know. I don't really care about any of that stuff. All I care about was his what his policy was. You know, um, if it wasn't for, I mean, you know, you look at. Uh, I always go back to to um, the decisions that he made in that um, that um, uh, the the months right before he was assassinated, um, when he made the decision uh, to that we weren't going to go to Vietnam, and that that was one of the things that. Um, you know, people need to realize that he had signed um, National Security Action Memo 
263, where, where um, you know, a thousand advisors were coming back almost immediately, and um, pretty much it said that we'd be out of Vietnam by the end of 65. Um, and, 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 you know, you think about the 50,000 American lives that were lost in Vietnam and the 100,000 and plus that were, that were uh, uh, wounded and their families um, and uh, how many, you know, untold numbers of Vietnamese, of course, um, that would have been all uh, eliminated, eliminated if he hadn't been killed, um, because we weren't going into Vietnam. Um, the decision was pretty much made. And, you know, again, uh, w- uh, you, you look at when uh, NASAM, uh, NSAM uh, 263 was reversed, you know, less than four days after he was assassinated. You know, I mean, you look at that. And you say to yourself, you know, he was killed because of greed. You know, he was killed because a lot of people wanted to go to Vietnam. And it wasn't just because of communism. You know, it was because of all the helicopters and all the armament and all of the profits that the corporations were, were, were stood to, uh, to, um, to make, to profit by. And, you know, it's, it's such a shame because that would have been a, that would have been a chapter, uh, in American history that just would have been totally different. Um, you know, uh, so, so, so again, to me, it doesn't come down to patriotism as much uh, and stopping communism with that group as it did with pure, unadulterated greed. And I, I have always felt that way, and I think I always will feel that way. They controlled everything. They controlled so much corporate profit, um, and they did not want the world to change. Um, they... Um, the group that were were running the CIA, they were the folks that were in the OSS, the precursor to the the CIA in World War II. Um, They got a taste for power and manipulation um, at that point, especially during the last year of the war, and um, the program that they had to uh, bring over um, the Germans um, that they wanted to bring over, uh, and they realized that they could basically get away with whatever policy they came up with. Um, nobody was standing in their way. And then through the Office of Policy Coordination, uh, um, they had pretty much unchecked budgets because they, it was all black, black op budgets. Um, they could basically hide the, the um, uh, hide any, um, uh, streams of revenue um, uh, easily because um, it would it, it would just be um, um, it, it wouldn't look it wouldn't come up as a line item in their budget it would just be hidden in the overall budget so nobody even knew what they were doing and then and um, nobody really wanted to know what they were doing either which is another thing that was that was horrible you know there wasn't um, there were some commissions and there were some, some congressmen that were trying to find out what was going on. But for the most part, I think we had a lot of uh, Congress was abdicating their role uh, as, um, you know, as overseers of the agency. So, you know, there were there was a lot of people that were that were at fault there. But um, 
But, you know, I mean, you look at the CIA and you look at, you know, Project Market. Well, CIA is, wasn't supposed to be involved in domestic operations anyway. And then they come up with Project Mockingbird, which, which basically, basically, and, and it's because, again, of greed. One of the people that were involved with that the most was Henry Luce. Um, uh, and... Um, uh, how can you have um, how can you have journalists um, Graham, the Washington Post, and all of these these really high end um, journalists and paper owners, newspaper owners, who um, just who just allow infiltration of their staff and and give uh, the CIA um, editorial editorial um, uh, uh, abilities over what they print. I mean, that's just, that's just not doing your job. Um, and, and it's really frustrating to me because I teach journalism. And, you know, now we're in a situation, and it's entirely different with, with social media because you don't know, you know, even what the sources are. But, you know, up until that point, um, you, you could pretty much count on uh, – papers in the in the country up to that point to be able to to um to source their material to be able to write and and, and what they stated a fact and then it's basic journalism you have to say said or stated or according to you have to let people know who your sources are you know and those types of things are what was completely changed with uh, with project mockingbird they changed the they took over the the american media they were able to hide things that were going on and then from there i mean it gets even worse with of course mk ultra where they were working on mind control and giving people LSD um, and um, doing all kind of crazy stuff. I mean, where is the oversight for those kind of of operations? How can that stuff um, happen and nobody know about it? You know, and then and then you know, even worse than that, of course, is that. When they finally are called on the carpet, um, Richard Helms and that group, what do they do? They they destroy all the files. They basically destroy all the files, and and then you know and 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 they get away with it for the most part. Nothing happens to them. You know, they they just say, oh yeah, we did a bad thing, and uh, but yeah, the files uh, they're they're gone. And absolutely incredible. That they aren't held to uh, to the fire for for all the stuff that the, that they did during that that period. Well, it's an uphill battle, but if you're interested in history, uh, there's a lot to go through. And uh, the fact that they fight tooth and nail—I mean, it's 60 years later—they don't want to release. You know, the CIA <laughs> doesn't want to give up. You know, and uh, I'm talking about documents. Sorry, and uh, yes. if you. You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like uh, by default here that people who look into this will realize, well, you're the guys behind it. Otherwise, mm. if it was Lee Oswald, you would be waving everything like a flag. Like, here's how he did this. Here's how he planned it. Here's what he did. And for the gullible out there that want to accept the Warren Commission, and it was like, you know, thank goodness, like for Mark Lane and those people, uh, Antonio, what was his name, the filmmaker, 
I mean, they they got all these interviews right away that showed that the, the misrepresentation or just um, hiding, obfuscating the, the what the people really said happened, you know? And it's like an old uh, headline I heard, like, how can you get shot from the front, from the back, you know? Yeah. Like people yeah. who were there, you know, he got shot from the front, you know? Yeah. And there were so many, even the big anchors, um, you know, were were towing the line with the Warren Commission. Nobody was well, challenging it. Well, was that Mockingbird, it. like you said, if they, if they got, you know, from the Pentagon or the Defense Department, whatever, we're going to give you a story. We're going to, here, print this story or you won't get any others. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, and then and then the few opportunities that there were, um, remember during the Garrison investigation and, you know, when was that, 68, I guess, you know, when, remember when he went on the Johnny Car- the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and, you know, <laughs> that, w- that would have been an opportunity to, to really let him, um, you know, say, say what he wanted, but, but, you know, at that time, Johnny Carson was was just so pro Warren Commission that um, you know he just didn't give him a chance to to speak. And if I remember correctly, they, it was so bad they had to have him back on or something. I can't remember the whole the whole story, but but it was just that people were so inundated with what the message was because that's all that they heard every time someone would come up with something some of those early researchers who were doing such an amazing job as soon as they would come out with with a fact um then all of a sudden there would be a a mountain of stories that would just go and and overwhelm it um, and go back to the, you know, saying, oh, this is crazy, and, you know, the Warren Commission was so wonderful. And, you know, they just basically squashed every every bit of research that was coming out. Um, for years and years, they just squashed it, and they were able to do that again because they had so many people that were that were basically uh, implanted uh, on these uh, editorial boards um, with the, with the newspapers. Um, so, you know, it hasn't been a free press. You know, we like to say it's been a free press, but it hasn't. Um, and and that's really a lot of that is because the press didn't do their job. Um, the press, like everything else in America, was owned by the very wealthy. It still is, and um, you know, anytime that happens. Um, you're going to be susceptible to um, to only running um, stories that uh, that basically coincide with um, whoever owns the the paper or the the media. Um, you know what they want. And it's a shame, but that's yeah, the way but, it but is. it's darker than just the press. But because think of this: that Jim Garrison's office was bugged. Yeah. And then we hear that um, uh, people in upper government. You know, in uh, CIA meetings and that, you know, does we've got a guy in there uh, representing uh, for Clay Shaw. Does he need help? Does he need our help? Right? Yeah. If you remember that. So the thing is that they're bugging uh, the only guy doing an investigation. They're trying to uh, sabotage his investigation. And then they're trying to, you know, instead of actually finding out what happened to President Kennedy, which in retrospect means they already knew. So they're just trying to plug leaks, right? Yeah, and they were actually not 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 just not just 
just infiltrating, but the people that were actually started with Garrison, they were trying to get them to flip over uh, and, and become uh, become agents for 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 their. The, the the CIA, um, there was, I, I, there was so I and and then they actually charged Garrison with so many false um, accusations and I I cannot remember what the specifics are. Well, right one now, was but, about uh, getting the profits of pinball. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's you know, right. Whatever, yeah. Get him, yeah. Right, right, and you know, and then he had to spend years defending himself before you know before he went back and became a judge again. Uh, it's just um, sad. I mean, and I thank God for people like Jim Garrison. I can only imagine what he was gone through and what his family was gone through, um, trying to fend off the arrows that were coming at him when he was you know, trying to do such good work there. And, uh, and then, you know, I mean, you look at, and of course, one of the, one of the people I've always been interested in, David Ferry, um, you know, I mean, how many convenient deaths can you have, Len? Right? I mean, you know, as soon as, as soon as the story broke that Garrison, Garrison was doing the investigation, you know, Ferry calls Lou Ivan, which is, which, who is one of Garrison's main investigators, and says, you know, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. Do you guys know what you did? You know, they take him into protective custody. Um, he's all frazzled. He leaves protective custody, and then the next morning, um, you know, they find him dead in his apartment. Um, and then, uh, you know, people say, oh, it was a suicide. He was stressed out. That's, that's I mean, uh, that is just so ridiculous, you know. I mean, how many how many suicides can you have? Um, how many how many people um, that were associated with the assassination um, are are um, you know hassled? Um, and that started right away with 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 some of the witnesses. They were told, you know, you didn't see what like like we talked about, Mrs. Aquila Clemens. You didn't see that, you know, and. Um, she was told right away. She she told Mark Lane, um, you know, they said that um, it would be better for my health or whatever if uh, if I didn't say that. You know, um, yeah, it, it, it's they they were playing for keeps. You know, they were playing for keeps. I'd like to know how many um, how many murders or how many um, how many incidents of intimidation happened yeah, in that cover up. I'm, I'm reminded of Lee Bowers, right? Yeah. You know, in the middle of nowhere on a, you know, oh, right. one car, you know, just, yeah. Well, right. Roger Craig, another one, you know, um, he supposedly committed suicide, you know, after he'd already been everywhere he went. He was, you know, he had people shooting at him and, and um, uh, you know, there's so many incidents like that, that, that um, they, you, they can't all be, <laughs> they can't all be just coincidence. <laughs> Oh my goodness! All right. Well, this last episode that you uh, released, it's Dr. Mary Sherman, and mm -hmm. uh, do you want to just go over uh, the facts of that, that, and what got you sure. interested in covering that, and then for people who may not know of it? Absolutely. Um, I have always been interested in what Lee uh, Oswald was doing this summer. Uh, before the assassination, um, and I know that they they said he went down to Mexico there for for a couple weeks, but um, you know he was definitely in New Orleans and he was definitely um, busy, um, and he was uh, so that was one of the things that 
that kind of got me um, started on on this um, this research. Um, and then um, when I found out about Mary Sherman's death, um, I thought that was well. Let me back up a little bit. When we talked about David Ferry, um, and David Ferry, I think most people know, but um, he was a uh, he was the um, contract CIA pilot who um, who took Carlos Marcello, the, the mafia don, uh, back from Guatemala. Um, he was uh, in actually in a courtroom with Marcello um, the afternoon of the assassination. Um, he's also the um, uh, the guy who was um, newly Oswald, um, there's the famous picture of him with the, the Civil Air Patrol when Oswald was young. Um, and then um, Ferry is such an interesting character because um, he was extremely um, right-wing, very anti-communist, um, and he had uh, a lot of personal issues but one of the thing things is and he also the, one of the other things is, is he was supposed to be um you know most a lot of folks say he was the going to be the getaway pilot for the assassins and the um, jfk murder um he took that famous trip um from new orleans uh down to houston through a storm and said he was gone ice skating and um one of the things that um, they found out, he was by the phone the whole weekend waiting for a call, um, and uh, he was probably going to go to Redbird Air, Air Field to um, to extract um, assassins, uh, but that never happened. So he was right in the middle of a lot of stuff. Um, new Guy Bannister, who was the ex-CIA station chief who was um, operating in uh, New Orleans, and uh, Lee Oswald was had a upstairs office in Bannister's office, and that's where the the uh, leaflets for the Fair Play for, for um, Cuba um, committee uh, were printed and then distributed. So I was, I was very interested in that whole thing. And when I found out about Mary Sherman's death, um, it kind of all um, came uh, into clarity, because when Ferry was, um, was killed in his apartment, uh, one of the things that was reported was there were all these mice that were in the cages uh, in his apartment, and um, everybody thought that he was doing um, cancer research on the mice, um, trying to cure cancer, and that never really made a lot of sense to me. Um, and then when um, Ed, author Ed Haslam, when he did his research, um, he, and by the way, if anybody hasn't read his book, Dr. Mary's Monkey, um, I'm not sure if you've had Ed on the, on the, um, the show, but um, his research is really amazing. He, he came from, come from um, a place where his father was a, uh, was a surgeon at Tulane Medical School, so he knew Mary Sherman. Uh, Mary Sherman was a woman who was trained at the University of Chicago. Um, she was absolutely brilliant. She was uh, at Chicago at the time where there were a lot of brilliant people. Um, Enrico Fermi was, they were doing the, um, the atom smashing at the same time. There were just a lot of really talented people up there, both in nuclear research and in bio research. Um, she was one of the f first female orthopedic surgeons in the country. Um, and then she, uh, she was, um, just an, uh, just very, very talented. She was recruited, 
uh, to New Orleans by Dr. Alton Oshner uh, of the Oshner Clinic down there. Um, she went down there. She became the uh, head of her own laboratory. Um, she was very big in, uh, I think she was the chairperson of the bone pathology um, department. Um, and she um, was uh, somebody who it's reported really never trusted Alden Oshner, but, um, you know, she worked with him and, um, and um, uh, was really basically doing her own thing. Um, well, what happened was Oshner was a very, very right wing. Um, he was a very talented um, uh, surgeon, and, and he built the kind of the medical empire there with the Oshner Clinic. But he was very right wing, and again, he was extremely politically connected. So um, he knew everybody. And not only that, but he was making a fortune off of wealthy Latin American uh, clients. Um, they, so much so that they actually built a building just to house the, the, the Latin clients and their families uh, because there was so much profit in it. He actually went to Latin America about a hundred times um, over the course of a few years um, um, for you know a number of reasons. Some of them were politically connected. Um, he actually went down and uh, to Argentina to Buenos Aires and um, and uh, examined Juan Perón, and then Perón came up to New Orleans and um, was treated there. So he was connected. Um, he also founded um, INCA, which was, I forget what it exactly stands for, but um, it's an organization of, oh gosh, I can't remember exactly what it is now. But anyway, it was... Well, is uh, it, it in was, the Information Council of the Americas? That's it. That's it. Thank you. Uh, very good. And, uh, and basically, he did that with Clinton Murchison Sr. with a lot of his money. Um, he was tied into that, um, uh, a lot of that Dallas money down there. Um, and it was actually um, kind of uh, formulated to be kind of a um, kind of a takeoff on Voice of America. Um, and what they did was they produced a lot of anti-communist um, audio tapes, and they were distributing. I think it was to about 120 radio stations in Latin America. They also did a, a film called Hitler in Havana. Uh, that was uh, that they produced. Um, so again, he was really right wing. Um, they wanted to, you know, basically stop communism. Um, but you know, they were again, you know, they were making a lot, a lot of money <laughs> out of Latin America. So, so that was, uh, you know, another another reason. Anyway, um, long story short, what happened was was that um, he was very connected. He was getting huge amounts of research grants, um, very well connected to, um, to uh, intelligence, um, had a lot of, um, a lot of pull, uh, made sure a lot of grants were coming down there. Well, this is where it gets really interesting. Um, at the time, uh, of course, you know, we all know the CIA was, had contracted with the mafia through Roselli and, and a few other people to, um, to uh, try to kill Castro. Um, and, you know, they were n obviously not successful. But one of the things that they wanted to do was they were looking for an alternative method of assassinating Castro. Uh, at the time, 
particle accelerators were just coming into into being, um, and they were the 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 high voltage machines that were necessary in order to to kind of break down viruses. Um, in order to um, really be able to do the type of research um, that you know should have all been been positive, going um, trying to stop diseases, but the CIA were really looking to create what, in, in essence, was a bioweapon. Um, so again, there were only about nine of these particle accelerators in the world. There was a company in Boston that was that was building them, um, and then one of them. Um, shows up it was hidden it was secret nobody knew about it but it was down at the public health hospital in new orleans um and it um it was uh, under the auspices of dr alton although he did his best to keep himself kind of you know his reputation clean kind of separated himself from it Uh, but he was in charge of the program and uh dr sherman um, was the lead researcher. And um, what they did with this hidden particle accelerator um, and all these, the, this is where it gets back to the mice that were found in, in Ferry's apartment. Um, what happened was it was a, C, uh, well, first of all, it was financed with, with cash. Um, every other particle accelerator at the time was, was done under financing, as you would imagine. Um, and then the hospitals would, would, you know, would pay for it over time. Um, this accelerator at the public health hospital in New Orleans was funded with $10 million cut in two checks several days apart. So it was funded through CIA banking sources. It was definitely a CIA operation. Uh, and then what happened was, was that Mary Sherman was, you know, one of the things that I had a hard time with, she was such a good person, um, for the most part, from, from everything that I've read and the people that I've talked to, um, that, you know, how could she get involved in, in this? But I think what it comes down to is that, you know, she probably fell for the, you know, for the, the story. You know, it was probably, hey, uh, this is necessary to stop World War III. We have got to assassinate Castro. Um, and, uh, you know, she was probably, it was probably presented to her in a patriotism type of a thing. Uh, but anyway, she became the, she was the lead researcher with this particle accelerator. And they were, what they were trying to do was not cure cancer. They were trying to, what they would do would take she, I, I got to back up just a little bit. She was one of the first people that understood that viruses could cause cancer. Um, and so what they were doing was isolating the viruses that could cause cancer. Then they were irradiating them so that they would mutate. And then they would, they would test the mutations to see which ones were more and more deadly and which ones acted more and more quickly. Um, and they they did this under this program, um, and this is where Judy Very Baker comes into um, into um, the story. Um, she had come down to New Orleans, um, and she was going to get early entry into Tulane Medical School. She was um, she was um, someone that was again an outstanding researcher and. She was already in the process of dedicating her life to to cancer research. Um, And she met the first day that she's there at the post office. 
you know she meets Lee Oswald. That wasn't a that wasn't a um, a coincidence. Um, he was obviously there to um, to uh, to meet her and kind of take her under his wing. Um, and then Haslam in his book Doctor Mary's Monkey relates that um, that uh, uh, Oswald actually took uh, Judith Baker to meet Oshner. And when they went to that meeting, before Judith went in to meet him, um, Oswald went in to talk to Oshner himself, which indicates that he had a relationship with Oshner even before, uh, you know, before, um, before this, a previous relationship. And anyway, um, Baker was kind of taken under the wing. She was asked to work with Mary Sherman. Um, what happened was... This was crazy. Um, uh, David Ferry, in the apartment where he was, I say murdered, but you know where he where he where he died. We'll put it that way. He had cages and cages of mice that everybody are aware of. But what happened was, and again, this was an amazing set of circumstances that that author Ed Haslam goes through. Uh, but anyway, he found that. Ferry had another apartment just a few blocks away. And in this apartment, nobody was living there. It was all filled with mice. He must have, he had, uh, I think it was estimated he had up to 400 mice at a time. Um, and this was all part of the research. Um, so um, uh, they're all, so they're working on the research. Um, uh, Ferry is had lost his job at Eastern Airlines. He had CIA clearance because he was making CIA um, trips to Latin America to run guns and other things. So he was kind of assigned uh, to uh, work on the project, and he became the caretaker of the mice. Um, that's why he had all the mice in his apartment and the second apartment that he had. So what a crazy story! So he's taking he's he's um, taking care of all the mice. He's going to he has the relationship with Mary Sherman. Um, Lee Oswald is kind of the runner in all of this stuff. He's taking the the materials back and forth from the from the particle accelerator from the lab at the public health um, hospital uh, to Ferry's apartment um, with Judith. Baker, they have they uh, a relationships with starts with those two. What an amazing story! Um, Bannister, Guy Bannister is involved, and um, Lee Oswald supposedly takes Judy Barry Baker to meet Bannister because when she first gets to the uh, to New Orleans and is asked to do this stuff because she's kind of hesitant at first, and Bannister helps convince her that. You know, it's all uh, it's all on the up and up. Um, so he's involved also. Um, so what happens is is that um, uh, they actually come up with uh, and actually did it fairly quickly. They by the the, the research that they were doing, um, they actually came up with uh, a can a virus that would cause cancer quickly and pretty deadly and was was pretty deadly so they they needed to test it um, and they tested it on dozens and dozens of monkeys uh, it worked um, better than they thought apparently so they decided that they needed to do a human test um, Baker Judith Baker says that she wasn't necessarily you know on board with that but 
They talked her into it. What happened was they got a prisoner from Angola State Prison, um, took that prisoner to Jackson State Mental Hospital uh, in Louisiana, and uh, Judith Baker administered the virus, and it worked. The prisoner died 28 days after um, he was um, was inoculated with the virus. So they had their product. They basically had their bioweapon, um, and that's amazing. So the, so the CIA spent $10 million for a particle accelerator. They were um, had... Um, uh, use their influence and their partnership basically with Alden Oxner um, to be able to do the research there in New Orleans. And they had a bioweapon that they had created without anybody's permission, you know, anybody in the government, um, and they were going to use it um, uh, on Castro. Um, now, it gets... There's other parts to the story, um, uh, and I don't know whether I haven't. I don't know whether I'm really on board with with um, um, some of the other stuff. Uh, but one of the things that suggest is suggested is is that um, that might have been part of the reason that Oswald went to Mexico City um, because he was going to be tasked with getting the virus into Cuba. Um, I don't have have no idea about that I, I haven't done any real study of that issue so i don't know if that's true or not um it's it's something that's that's out there uh but anyway uh the next thing that happens is is there is a an accident um and uh um uh it, mary sherman uh there's a in the apartment complex that she lives in um, is there's a kind of a shady character named Juan Valdez that is probably uh, he he probably has some association in all of this, but I'm I'm not sure exactly what it is. But anyway, um, about four o'clock in the morning, he makes a call and uh, he's he lives in the same apartment complex. Says that Mary Sherman's apartment is on fire, so the responders come and what they find is incredible. Um, they find that um, it's not really a big fire, very smoky. They let the smoke clear, and then they go in, and they find Mary Sherman in her bed, um, uh, and she's head, head by the uh, kind of opposite, like um, her head to the head uh, to the where her feet would be and feet where her head was. But she's she's got um, she's dead. But she's got horrific, horrific injuries. Basically, the whole right side of her her body is destroyed, not just just burnt, but missing. Um, her shoulder, uh, her whole right arm is gone. Her right torso is gone, so that the responders can actually see the organs inside of her body. So it's a pretty grotesque scene. Um, naturally, uh, so they pull her out. The other thing is, is there's there's not much other um, uh, damage to the apartment. Like there's a bookcase that's right next to it in my video. You'll see it. Um, the books aren't even, aren't even scorched. So uh, there's no way the fire could have possibly done that kind of damage to, to the one side of a, of a human body. Um, so anyway, um, as you would expect, it's getting a lot of press coverage. And then after about two days or three days, I can't remember the FBI puts a, press blank blank out um a media blackout 
of any more press on that case, which is really, really weird. Um, and then so nobody really knows what's going on except, you know, the, the official story was she died in a fire. Well, what happened is she couldn't have been uh, she couldn't have been received those those um, those wounds there. But what they find is even more interesting. They find that she was stabbed to the heart, and then she's got some other stab wounds. When they do the autopsy, they find out that her blood has coagulated, um, so that her heart was still beating when uh, she was stabbed to the heart. The other stab wounds came later. So um, what? Um, so what happens is is that um, it's pretty obvious that she must have been killed by the particle accelerator um, at the public health hospital. Um, so probably, you know, whatever happened there, whatever kind of an ac accident it was, um, she got um, really, really electrocuted. And, th and those things are like millions of volts. They can go up to about 5 million volts. So it's really serious. Uh, so the electricity, maybe she pulled on the power and there was a short. I don't, I don't know that anybody really knows, but the electricity obviously went through the right side of her body, basically disintegrating her whole right side, shoulder, arm, um, whole right torso. Um, so, but she wasn't dead um, because the electricity went straight down to the ground and got, got um, grounded down there. So that they had a big, big <laughs> dilemma at that point, because here they are with a covert operation with a particle accelerator that nobody knows about um, that shouldn't be there. And they're working on a bioweapon. Um, so they can't really call emergency services, you know, to come and have her taken. Um, so Haslam deduces, and I've, from what I read, it makes a lot of sense to me that they probably may, and with those kind of injuries, she probably wouldn't have survived anyway very long. So they made a decision to kill her. And the way to do that was, you know, they were all medical people. They, so um, they did a, uh, uh, you know, one stab to the heart. Um, from there, this was about three in the morning. From there, they take her back to the, her apartment. They they make the decision really quickly that they've got to do a, a crime scene. Um, so they don't have a lot of time. So they they have her keys so they can get into her apartment, turn off her burner burglar alarm. They put her in the bed, and again, they were in a real hurry. Um, and they just put some clothes on top of her that were actually folded from her, uh, from one of her drawers that they, and they just, then they lit the mattress on fire. Well, when she's found the, the fire wasn't even hot enough really to burn the clothes on top of her. That's so, so we know it wasn't really that, that hot a fire. Um, but then they found out of course that she's murdered. Um, by the stab in the heart and the autopsy, but it doesn't go any further than that because the FBI puts a puts the kibosh, <laughs> you know, on, on all media, um, and uh, so um, basically that's a cover up of you know of of um, the bioweapon uh, uh, um, creation facility that they just couldn't let people know about. And what's really interesting with this is, I mean, there's obviously a lot that's really interesting with it. But what I thought was that, you know, 
Lee Oswald, when he's framed, uh, you know, just a, a month or two later, whatever it is, for, um, you know, for killing Kennedy, when he's taken into custody, um, can you imagine what he could have told the American people if he had really gotten, uh, you know, if he realized that he was a patsy and he realized that nobody was coming to his aid, um, can you imagine what he might have revealed? That's probably another reason that they needed to get that guy killed as soon as possible. When he wasn't killed in the Texas School Book Depository or the, or the Texas Theater, when he was alive, there had to be a whole lot of really, really crazed people, you know, worrying about what he was going to say. You know, they had to take him out as quickly as possible. Because if he would have gotten upset, he would have, you know, I don't even think Alan Dulles would have been able to cover up what he was going to, what he could have unleashed. Because not only about, you know, the, the attempts to kill Kennedy, but also that the CIA had created a bioweapon that nobody knew about, um, that, that, they were, that they were totally out of control, and the whole nine yards. And that made a lot of sense to me, um, that, that um, you know, he knew, he knew stuff that, that I had no idea. It wasn't just the, wasn't just the, uh, the stuff that he was privy to with, with the characters that he was with, Clay Shaw and Ferry and those. He knew a lot of stuff um, about what was happening in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, the American people would have been uh, pretty interested to, uh, to hear a lot of that, a lot of that. Uh, that's that uh, that story so that's what the video is about Len it just kind of is uh, kind of runs through the story um, it's just one of those like the Chicago plot it's just one of those things that happened in the lead-up to the uh, assassination that um, you know that it, it all starts to make sense um, when you uh, when you look at the big picture of like why people did certain things like I could never figure out again why David Ferry would have cages and cages of mice in his apartment. And nobody, and I never saw any explanation to that that ever made any sense to me, that he was doing cancer research. That made no sense to me. You know, but they weren't doing cancer research. They were doing research into, you know, creating a virus that was as deadly as possible. So they had to keep um, inoculating mice and, you know, seeing which ones died the quickest. And then once they actually had it, then they moved on to simians, to, to, monkey, to monkeys, um, and they killed a bunch of those, dozens of those, and then they moved up. They got the, 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 the prisoner from the, from the Angola State Prison. They tried it on a human being. It worked on a human being, and they had their bioweapon. And, um, you know, just an amazing story that you know not a lot of people know about now it gets deeper than that um and you'll you um if there's actually some really interesting stuff in um in Haslam's book about culturing uh the virus from uh, monkey kidneys which is the way which is the way um um polio viruses were cultured at the time and he goes into some some really interesting um, supposition about some other stuff that may have been happening at that lab 
um, that I won't get into um, now, but but basically it is uh, uh, the idea was that um, uh, there was some real worry that um, when they were doing the polio um, uh, the polio um, vaccine that some of the uh, simian viruses from the monkey kidneys may have gotten into there so that a whole generation and I would be in that generation of kids that were inoculated in the late 50s and early 60s um, you know may have have received um, inoculations or sugar cubes at the time that uh, may have had some um, wild viruses from the monkey kidneys in there that could cause cancers later in life, especially soft tissue cancers. Um, so that's a, another story for another day, but it's all included in that book. Um, so I, I really would recommend that uh, people read Ed Haslam's book, Dr. Mary's Monkey. Um, I reread it, um, you know, in preparation for doing my video, and there was stuff that I that I had forgotten from the first time that I that I read it. Um, just a really good, um, just a really good uh, uh, research effort on his part. Um, and uh, you know, and that's what it takes. That's what it takes in order to get to the bottom of all, all this stuff. So, um, really interesting story, don't you think, Lynn? I mean, that that whole thing with the bioweapon there in, uh, in New Orleans—that's pretty crazy. Well, there was just an awful lot going on at that time. With the you know with the money for the Cold War, they would fund anything, right? Yeah, the yeah. mind control stuff and <laughs> yeah. brainwashing. And... <laughs> that were that was just nuts. I mean, remember those LSD experiments that they were doing? They gave the one the one subject they gave him LSD seventy seven straight days. I think it was. I mean, what? oh, psychic oh. driving, right? Oh my goodness! Yeah. You know, and, what uh, kind of craziness is that? And then the I think the thing is called uh, Midnight Climax, where they would get uh, hookers to guys come in, and then they would give them a drink, and then they you know two way mirrors, and they would film it and see what the people did, so that they were uh, unwitting, and then you know they they really couldn't complain to anybody because they were at uh, some kind of brothel, right? Right, right. You know, they were excellent at setting up those scenarios. Exactly. Boy, but uh, just crazy stuff. Have you ever had Ed ha Ed Haslam on your on your show? I don't recall. Okay, okay. He was, uh, um, I'd be in, I was just a just really interesting stuff. Is um he had a unique uh, a unique window into that because his father knew uh, you know Mary Sherman was uh, being a um, being a surgeon himself and uh, being a um, uh, being um, uh, an associate of Mary Sherman, you know, he had kind of a, a, a really good window into that. He said his uh, in the book. He said that um, his father uh, went to see the body of uh, Mary Sherman, and when he, he came back, he said that was the only time he ever saw his father cry. So that's some um, a really good indication of just how horrendous those uh, those injuries must have been to the right side of her of her body. There, you know, just. Um, crazy stuff you know yeah it looks like uh, i interviewed him in 2004 oh so, cool yeah cool. show one 195 I'll, I'll i'll listen to that that's really cool it's and it's another it's another uh um example of how now mary sherman is someone that you know being a you know she's probably not someone that you would expect to be pulled into to to an um 
uh, an environment where they're trying to create a a, 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 um, a bioweapon. You know, uh, it's probably totally opposite of everything she's ever stood for, you know, with with trying to cure people and trying to find cures for cancer, both through radiation and, and virus manipulation. But again, you know, you can imagine the pressure that was probably on her with Oxner, who's you know, the head of the, the the whole shebang. She was probably getting the same thing from, uh, uh, you know, uh, who knows who knows how I, how high up in the government, you know, and it just shows that anybody can be, be manipulated by, uh, you know, by the CIA when enough pressure is put on them. And, um, you know, it, and it ends up really costing her life. It's just, just such a shame. Well, it's a strange uh, association of things going on in New Orleans. Right, so, man, I wonder if uh, um, Jim Garrison had any uh, indications of, of some of that stuff. You know, I know he was concentrated pretty much on, uh, you know, Clay Shaw, of course, because that was who he was. He was trying. Uh, he probably had some indications that there were a lot of other weird stuff going on in the in the city at the time. That um, he was probably just scratching the surface. Um, uh, and again, you know, when you think about it, like you brought up, like you said, I mean, it was such an immediate onslaught from intelligence from the CIA to put agents in his investigation. I, what was there, like nine CIA agents that the House Select Committee um, identified? Um, why would an agency, I mean, I mean, why would they do that to such an overwhelming degree if they weren't really trying to hide an awful lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really sounds like who, who knows what we don't even know yet, you know? I mean, maybe that we will never know. But besides the assassination of a president, um, the creation of bioweapons, the overthrow of democratically in, uh, elected governments all over the world, uh, a, a war in Vietnam, I mean, how how much more chaos could one group have have caused over the course of about fifteen years? You know, unbelievable. And to what end, right? To what end, right? We're a lot worse world because of it. A lot of people lost their lives. A lot of really poor people. Um, I mean, you know, look at the reasons in Iran. You know, um, you know, they wanted to to to. to take back the their own oil uh, resources from the British and that's the reason we went in there and Guatemala um, the the um, uh, United Fruit Company and the other big players down there owned almost all the land two percent of the of the land seventy uh, percent of the land was owned by two percent of people um, you know they were trying to redistribute wealth and they were paying United fruit for their for their um, their lands anyway that they were going to take. They were they had offered them twelve million dollars. United Fruit wanted sixteen million um, before they decided to get rid of our Benz Guzman. Um, you know, in Kong in the Congo with Mumba, um, you know, he was a guy that was that was trying to stop you know the colonialism that was happening there, and and um, you know was really well loved and. 
Um, Eisenhower gave the okay to, to have him taken out. I mean, you look at the Diem brothers in South Vietnam where Kennedy had said, don't touch them, leave them, you know, and on the same day that John Kennedy is supposed to be assassinated in Chicago on November 2nd, 1963, that's when the Diem brothers um, are are taken out, and um, and that's a, a an admitted CIA um, where they um, the CIA actually admitted where that they went against Kennedy's orders. They faked the cable from Kennedy, which they actually had to admit before a congressional committee. They faked a, a cable from Kennedy, saying that uh, it was his order to go ahead and um, and 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 take out the Dan brothers. I mean, that's a group that. You know, if there's a hell, um, I think a lot of those folks are are, are probably there now. Um, you know, uh, just just unreal, unreal. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a link to your YouTube page, uh, and for now, that's where people can find out what you uh, up to. And there's a few other things in there, but. Um, um, you know, Great, uh, I appreciate it, Len. Thank yeah. you so much. And is there still more to come out? Because uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm kind of going through all my old notes and stuff now, and um, I, I hope to be working on a few more things. I haven't uh, made any. Um, uh, I'm not working on anything specifically right now, but I'm gonna. Hopefully, I'll be able to get back to the, to the editing, uh, <laughs> editing suite here pretty quickly. All right, good. Well, do let me know the minute you have anything posted. Very good. I, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Len. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, thanks, Ted. Have good. a great day. Okay, good night.